And then Friday we got in the car and we drove back. And uh, so we spent the day Thursday, and this is typically how it goes, that whatever uh, any of our college students uh, need, if we can accommodate them, we do, which is a lot of can you, especially in the cold, uh, a lot of can you pull the van around to this door at this time? Can you be there and just sit there and wait for us to come out? And uh, fine, that's, that's, I'm very happy to do that. So at one particular spot, it was dark already. It was freezing cold. It was it was, actually wasn't as cold as it was here this morning, but it was it was right around zero the whole time. And uh, can you pull around by such and such doors? And so I made my way back all the way behind the the back row of of buses in the parking lot to to pull around to this door. And when I did, and I was all by myself in the van, it was dark, it was cold, and everything was covered in snow. I made my way to between a row of buses, and to my right, I could see a spot that has been very sacred to me since I was 18 years old. And that very sacred spot, and I'm not going to wear you out with personal stories here, but I'm going to start with my stories and try to work it in with yours, or my story, try to work it in with yours. And uh, I, I saw a spot that was very sacred to me, and it was very sacred because I was 18 years old, when I would walk out, not in this weather, but in a in, uh, little bit warmer weather, I would leave the dormitories over here and walk past the football field off to two big rows of pine trees over here. And this is where I'm driving past Thursday evening. Two big rows of pine trees. And I would walk out and deep into these pine trees, and I would walk up and down a path that would be about the same distance of this door to that back wall, maybe maybe a little further. Pine trees, big tall pine trees on this side, big tall pine trees on this side, and of course, pine needles on the ground. And I would walk back and forth and just ask God for a number of things. I would ask God to use me then on my bus route in Chicago, At other times, I would ask God to show me the girl that he had for me to marry. And then at other times, I would walk there and I would pray for what God had for me to do for the rest of my life. I want you to understand that even as I prayed for these things, I'm 18 years old, 19, 20 years old, I felt a little bit silly. You know why? Because this place right here, this place of being, whether you want to call an old teenager or a young adult, you're right on the border there, and all of life is ahead of you and you have so little experience, you want to get at it, but there's, there's so much ambition, but there's also so much fear, and it is characterized by one word, uncertainty. Uncertainty. Why? Because even as you're praying, the old accuser is, is whispering in your ear saying, that's never going to happen. Everybody else is going to find a perfect woman, but not you. You're not good enough. Everybody else is going to, they're going to go on and they're going to be used to the Lord, but not you. You're not good enough. You haven't seen anything really happen yet. You haven't seen really any big uh, answers yet. You haven't really seen any big accomplishments yet, so, but you're praying in this place of uncertainty. And now, 32 years later, I'm driving the van past that very same place. 
And now by the grace of God and just about everything that I prayed for back then, if not everything, I'm in a place of certainty. I know now as I look at that very same spot, very sacred, and I can't drive past that place, which I only get to do once a year maybe. I, get, I can't drive past it without choking up. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll actually walk back there, but not very often. But I can't go past it without getting choked up when I realize that God brought me from uncertainty to certainty. I tell you, it was very special. It was a year ago. Uh, my wife and I went, and because my son had had a very brief Christmas vacation last year, he was only home for about three days because he had to get back to his job. And so we decided to take a week in January and go. So I think we would have been there right now, if I'm not mistaken, a year ago. And we went to Glenwood, Illinois. And Glenwood, Illinois was the last job that I held. I told you last week about working at U.S. Steel in Gary, Indiana, and how that the the first desert storm came. And the very next day, I was laid off. And, And so... The next job I got was in Glenwood, Illinois at this place called Rako Steel. And that's where I worked for the rest of my time of uh, getting married and uh, being, being there for another two years after I got married. I worked at Rako Steel in Glenwood, Illinois. When I got my job in, in Glenwood, Illinois, almost immediately I would leave the big steel frame building where the steel plant was on my first break at, at uh, 520. I would leave my, my spot and I would walk out the big overhead doors where the trucks would come in and out and load and, and uh, ship out. And I walked out behind and crossed over some railroad tracks onto a forest preserve, an Illinois forest preserve. And just like I did with those two sets of pine trees, only uh, there were no pine trees. It was just tall grass. I just started walking a path that was a little bit shorter, probably closer to being the width of the auditorium here. Just back and forth. And there, there I would still pray for my bus route. I would still pray for uh, circumstances in my life. By that time, I'd already started dating the girl of my dreams, and we were getting ready to get married. And we did get married while I worked at that place called Rako Steel. And, but I started praying very intensely for the ministry that God had for me. And I'll tell you what's very special is it was while I was working there and praying every single day, every day I'd go out of break and meet with the Lord. And I did so so consistently that it went from being an overgrown grassy, tall grass patch to there would be a dirt, there's a dirt path that were formed strictly by my, by my footsteps. And I'd be walking on dirt every day, back and forth, back and forth, praying God. And I had a handwritten prayer list. And one of the things that I prayed for, this is 1991, 92, 93, 94, into 94. One of the things very vividly on my prayer list I remember. God, I pray for the people that I will be their pastor someday and they haven't even been born yet. And the old accuser would say, you idiot, that's never going to happen. You're not going to succeed like other uh, people have succeeded. You're you're not going to do anything. You're not good enough. It was a place of uncertainty. It was about a year and a half ago. We had a crazy schedule that that, uh, 
was necessitated by circumstances, and I can't even remember it all, but what I remember was my wife and I drove out for, oh, we drove out for the homecoming conference. It was just over a year ago. We drove out for the homecoming conference, and I, I left Amy in Indiana, flew back home, right? Drove the van out with, with young people that were coming to college days, who, some of whom are now in college. Parked the van at Midway Airport, right? Parked the van at Midway Airport in the parking garage so that when Brother Zach got off work that Friday night, he would fly out, land at Midway, get in the van that I had. I mean, it felt like Mission Impossible. And he would get in the van that I had parked, drive, pick up the kids that were at college days, and drive them home. Crazy. I tell you, it was one of the coolest parts of that was when I was driving from Midway back to meet my wife, and we were on 294, and we went through Glenwood, Illinois, and we didn't go right past Rayco Steel, but we drove past a place where I could look over and know where it was. And it hit me that every single person the rest of this trip was born after when I used to walk over there and say, God, I pray for the people that haven't even been born yet that I'm going to be their pastor someday. And all of a sudden I realized that for that part of my prayer life, I was no longer in the place of uncertainty By the grace of God, to some extent, I was in the place of certainty. Now listen, here's the whole message. And you said, Pastor, this can't possibly be brief, but but it is going to be. Every one of us in some area of our lives are in a place of uncertainty. In fact, the younger you are, the more uncertainty there is in, in your life. If you're 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, you go, I don't see how I'm ever going to have a stable marriage. I don't see how I'm ever going to have a stable home. I don't see how I'm ever going to be able to buy a house. I don't see how I'm ever going to be able to have a stable career. That's if you're young. If you're getting older, it may, be, it may have to do with your marriage. It may have to do with the raising of your children. It may have to do with your retirement. It may have to do with your, your business, your career, whatever you've got going on in your life. There are areas of your life where you say, I am in that place of uncertainty and it doesn't look at all like I'll ever get to the place where things are certain. Things are certain. Now let me say, just by the nature of life and even the nature of living in a relationship with God, you never come to the place where there's no uncertainty. There's always new uncertainties. But the fact of the matter is, God wants to bring you in every area of your life from uncertainty to certainty. So the other night when I'm driving past this row of trees, I asked the Lord right then and there, Lord, you have brought me from uncertainty to certainty in so many areas. So many things that I used to think were impossible, they have come to pass. So many things that I didn't see the way, you've shown me the way. How did it happen? And you know what instantly came to mind? Not me, it ain't me. What instantly came to mind was Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith 
is the substance of things hoped for. The difference between uncertainty or the the bridge between uncertainty and certainty is faith. How do you get from the place of all the question marks to the place of answers? Now, are there more question marks for me? Absolutely. But you know what? There's been enough transfer from uncertainty to certainty that I know God's going God's to cover the rest. How do you get there? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Could I rephrase that? Faith is the certainty in uncertainty. So let's talk about that. Now, you have a job to do. Let's see if you can do it. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. Because faith is the certainty that that we have even in uncertainty. What do we do according to 2 Corinthians 5? Say it with me. We Walk by faith, not by sight. A plus, you did it. Good job. Because faith is what brings us and even gives us hope, even as we are in the uncertainty, we know I'm going to get there. I don't know what there looks like, but I know I'm going to get there. Because faith is what gives us hope, even as we are living in uncertainty, we know. I know this is going to turn out the way it's supposed to. Therefore, we do what? We walk by faith, not by sight. What does that mean? That's the question, and we'll be all done. What does it mean that we walk by faith? It means that we pursue God's purpose, not our own. You know, several times, and I won't tell this, I remember at my own high school graduation party, my grandfather's brother, Uncle John, great man. If those of you who met my father's brother, John, I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about their uncle, Uncle John, my grandfather's brother, John Vasek. I remember sitting down at a table and talking to my uncle, my great uncle John. <clears throat> and he said, uh, so you're, you're going to be a preacher? I said, yes, Uncle John. Word for word, this is what he said. Isn't there anything else that you'd like to do? I went to work that summer and for the next two summers, that summer and then the summer after my freshman year of college at Brewster Transit Mix, where my father worked for for over 50 years. And I was just a yard kid, you know, run and get this and go for kind kind of a job. And at the end of that first summer, as I was going away to Bible college, and look, there were other guys that were sons of employees that they were going away to business school. One guy was going off to law school. I'm going off to Bible college, which didn't make sense because everybody knew I was the smartest guy there. Anyway, um, I'm just joking. But um, the salesman, somebody that had known my father for decades, he comes in and I'm sweeping in the garage. Sweeping, not sleeping, sweeping. I'm sweeping in the garage. And he says, Joey, come here. He calls me into the break room. And I can still, he sits me down in the break room. We sit down on a wooden bench in the break room. And he's, a, you know, he's, he's old enough to just about retire. His name was Mickey. And he said, uh, Joey, you're going to starve to death. 
He said, you, you got you to gotta find, he said, he started naming the other guys. This guy's going to business school. This guy's going to law school. This guy, he said, there's no money in what you're doing. He said, you got to do something else. By the way, I saw him about 10 years ago in Chuck's Steakhouse. We, we crossed paths, and uh, I said, hey, I introduced myself, and I said, man, remember the last time we saw each other and the talk we had? He said, yeah. I said, I haven't starved yet, thank God. So, <laughs> When I was leaving Rako Steel to come here, my foreman called me in. His name was Bob, and he was a great guy, and everybody else thought he was mean, but, but I, we got along just fine. He, he worshipped Mike Ditka, looked like him, talked like him, everything. And so he called me into his office. He said, Joe, listen. He said, I know what you do with the bus and the church, and that's great. He said, but you're not going to make a living off of that. He said, you're going out to start from nothing. He said the same thing Mickey did. He said, you're going to starve. He said, I'm begging you to reconsider what you're do- going to, to do. He said, I admire it. It's great. It's admirable. He said, but do something else. He said, I'm worried about you. And I just said, look, this is what God called me to do, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my whole heart to it. That was a place of uncertainty. Listen, if I was thinking, and those are all fine men, good men, my uncle and, and Mickey and, and Bob, they're all very good, solid, strong men. But here's what they didn't understand, what they didn't calculate. It's not about what I want to do. It's about what God wants me to do. And that's the first thing in walking by faith and not by sight. It's not about your purpose. It's about God's purpose. Something else about walking by faith and not by sight. It means that we obey God's word, not what seems reasonable to us. When you look at what the Bible, there's there's five basic New Testament responsibilities. Know the word of God. Pray. Tithe. Assemble with believers and tell other people about Jesus Christ. Those are the five basics of, of Christian living. And, and those are things that, that God expects us to do. Now, you look at those things and you say, yeah, but I don't see why I need to. I don't see how. That, you know, you look at tithing, you say, I don't see how that's going to make me better off financially. I don't see how, uh, you know, how, I don't see how coming out Wednesday night to pray with other believers, I don't see how that's going to help me. Do you understand, if, if that's what you're thinking, do you hear yourself, what you're saying is, I don't see. And what does that verse say? It says, we walk by faith, not by sight. You don't have to see how these things take you to the destination. You just have to trust God, which brings us to we obey God's word, not what seems reasonable to us. And then, finally, we trust God with our destinations. You see, way back in those pine trees or way back behind Braco Steel or way back all kinds of different places I could tell you about where I've prayed and sought the Lord as a young man, I didn't see Northeast Baptist Church specifically. I didn't see, I dead sure didn't see Danbury, Connecticut. When, when, hey, when I was a boy, Danbury meant one thing, shopping. I wanted no part of Danbury because it was a dirty word. And uh, I, so I dead sure didn't see Danbury, Connecticut. I saw probably going back to the home area because there's no churches, but I didn't see Danbury. 
but God did. So you walk by faith means you set out in obedience to God and you trust God with the destination. I dead sure didn't see that in your early 40s you're going to have half of your left foot amputated. I didn't see that, but, but God knew, so I trust him with the destination. Listen, I hate to keep going back to this, but I think there's so much instruction in this for the rest of us. Pastor Bish dead sure didn't see before you're 60, you're going to be a widower. I've never met anybody that I was more convinced is in the center of the perfect will of God than Tom Bish. And in the center of the perfect will of God, in his walk by faith, God saw to it that before he was 60 years old, he's going to be a widower and the love of his life is going to be taken from him. And I have tried to empathize with him so many times in the last several weeks. What would I do if the love of my life was taken from me? I don't see how I could go on. But he still walks by faith. Here's maybe what you need to consider as we close a service and as we head on into 2018. Can you walk by faith instead of doing, instead of pursuing your purposes, you pursue God's. Instead of doing what seems reasonable to you, you do what God says to do and you trust God with the destination. And he will take you every time. He will take you from uncertainty to certainty. Father, I pray that you'd help us today.